Hello, hello! It has been a hell of a week for me, but welcome to Nonsense and Noise, a podcast about the queer pop culture media experience. I'm your host, Nathan Cotto, and I, as you could tell from that intro, um, I'm tired. It has been a long week for me, so I'm like kind of new at my job. I started at this place back in May, so it's been about five months officially, and I'm kind of being thrown right into the fire with stuff that I'm working on. I kind of know what I'm doing, I also kind of don't know what I'm doing, so um, there's just been a lot of stress, and my current boss goes out on maternity leave in exactly a week, and the person that I will be reporting to which was the person who hired me, they're helpful, but also, like, they're the type of person who you get into a conversation with and you realize that, like, they haven't helped you at all. So I need to, like, really do some digging to, like, make sure that all my conversations with them are fruitful and I get what I need out of them, which is really exhausting. I do kind of miss the days where I could, like, ask people and get a straight answer instead of, like, this whole song and dance, but, oh well, uh, that's, that's my life now. But otherwise, I am excited. Today is the day when Metroid Dread is released. I am planning on streaming that on Twitch whenever I get my copy of that in. I did not pay GameStop extra money to get it on the day of release, So I'm most likely getting it sometime next week. So if you follow me on Twitter, uh, look for tweets that are announcing that I'm going live on Twitch uh, and come hang out. Come watch me scream in space and get demolished by the Emmy as they seek to end my entire existence. So that kind of leads me into the next segment, which is a pop culture update. So as I mentioned, Metroid Dread was released today. Um, I'm super excited about that. Not sure how much I can really talk about that in terms of like how you experience that as a queer person, but you know, it's always fun to be gay in space and scream in space, especially when there's a giant robot following you, but we'll see more. And Samus is a legendary icon. The next piece of news, which isn't really news at this point, the Mario movie is supposedly coming to theaters next year during the holiday season. Nintendo partnered up with Illumination to make a Mario movie, and I'm sure everyone has seen the casting for the voices. Very star-studded cast, and everyone is... I don't think anyone's happy with the fact that Chris Pratt is the voice of Mario. I think it would be very funny if the entire voice cast sort of, like, everybody did was fine for their roles, and then Chris Pratt just does a terrible job as Mario, because, like, yeah, I, I don't know. He doesn't really have any voice acting skills. Like, when I learned that he was in the Lego movie, like, while watching the Lego movie, I was like, oh, yeah, of course that's Chris Pratt. He's just talking. The other funny take that my friend and I had was for Seth Rogen voicing Donkey Kong um, if if he just did the Seth Rogen voice and also was the only character that was not animated that would be really funny it would probably make the movie more enjoyable but 
yeah, so so the Mario movie is a thing. The po- the other positive or more positive news that came out of the Nintendo Direct at the end of September was Bayonetta 3. Um, we're finally getting Bayonetta 3. I personally have not played the earlier games yet, but I do intend on doing that. I have a large catalog of games that I want to get through, um, and so I can actually enjoy Bayonetta 3 when it comes out, so I guess this means I should probably play Bayonetta 1 and 2. But Bayonetta 3 is supposed to come out next year. I know many people were eagerly awaiting it. The trailer itself was pretty fun. They teased Astral Chain, which really, like, sent me over the edge. I'm not done with Astral Chain yet, but, like, one of the mascots showed up, and I was like oh my gosh, are they doing an Astral Chain sequel? Which would be really cool. Astral Chain is a really, really awesome game that like is very genre-defying. And I think maybe one day I will talk about Astral Chain on here. But yeah, so Bayonetta 3 is coming out. And then the last piece of pop culture news to cover is Bretman Rock being on the cover of Playboy. So... We all know what Playboy is. Not everybody might know who Bretman Rock is. So he is an AAPI or Asian American Pacific Islander model, like slash influencer. I've seen him on Instagram before. I don't really follow him, but he's also openly gay and he's the first openly gay model, male model on the cover of Playboy. And this like is pretty cool i'm happy that he's the first openly gay male model on the cover of playboy like i'd rather it be him instead of like some white twink (laughs) but i think the complicated part about that especially like my own feelings about it i'm kind of torn about it just because like playboy is a magazine that kind of you know the the whole point of it is to be sexy and really upholds the objectification of women because, you know, it's it's run by men. And so it just feels really weird to me that Bretman Rock is the first gay man on the cover of Playboy because there are a lot of stereotypes that gay Asian American men face, like specifically sexually. So there's a lot of fetishization, basically like any of the like fetishization that Asian women face, like gay Asian men face as well. So there's the stereotypes of being submissive and a bottom and just, yeah, like basically a receptacle for <laughs> for for other men. So that's kind of like the grain of salt that I took the Bretman Rock Playboy cover with. It's hard because like on one hand, I'm like I said, I'm very happy that it's not some white dude, like a white gay man as the first gay male cover model for Playboy, but on the other hand, like, there's just so much, like, that the gay community has to fix in terms of just, like, fetishizing Asians, and just, like, society has to fix, and, like, white society has to fix in terms of just, like, fetishizing Asians. So, yeah, that, that's pretty complex. And I have no real way to pivot into this, but we're going to just take a hard left into now the main main content of the episode. We're still covering Shang-Chi and talking about that because I have not yet exhausted all the topics that I want to talk about. This week's episode is talking about fight choreography, uh, martial arts and everything. So the martial arts actually themselves tie quite 
tightly back into the themes. So Wen Wu is, as a refresher, Shangxi's dad, and is a very forceful fighter, very strong, and he, um, you know, will use force to get what he wants. At the beginning of the movie, we see him single-handedly demolish an army with the Ten Rings, and he fights using Kung Fu, or Kung Fu. It's very aggressive, and he fights specifically using the Black Tiger style of Kung Fu. And that means, like, the Black Tiger style is characterized by a lot of, like, aggression, and it's one of the most powerful Kung Fu forms. So that is very fitting for Wen Wu's character. And then on the other hand, you have Yin Li, who's Shangxi's mom, and she uses Ba Gua Zhang, which is very gentle, very gentle style, mostly focuses on redirection of energy, kind of similar to the Japanese martial art Aikido, which is more focused on like taking energy from your opponent and redirecting it either like to protect yourself or to send it back at your opponent. So in addition to the martial arts, there is a lot of reference to other media that Shang-Chi uses to make a point. So the opening scene in the bamboo grove between Wen Wu and Yin Li, where they're first initially fighting, that is highly reminiscent of the House of Flying Daggers. And House of Flying Daggers is interesting because it is a kung fu movie, but it's also like it's the directors specifically stated that it's actually more of a love story. So that was interesting in that like I don't know, like, I was kind of focused on more of the fight itself, and I was excited by the choreography, it's very dynamic, the, the colors are bright, and you also have a little bit of, you know, some mysticism going on with how Ying Li is using her martial art to fight against Wen Wu and, like, not really hurt him, and just, you know, more or less protect herself as well as the entrance to Talo. But yeah, it was interesting that like pretty much everything about that bamboo grove scene is a nod to House of Flying Daggers. So it's very interesting that, you know, that I think that was a really good backdrop to use for painting and establishing the romance between Wen Wu and Ying Li. So that that was an important part. But then also um, the other, I guess, more prominent, it felt, media reference in all of the choreography, all the martial arts and everything, was really Avatar. Avatar The Last Airbender, not Avatar Blue People. As I mentioned with my friend Bryn in episode two, I don't think Avatar Blue People had a, any sort of cultural impact. There's no, uh, like there's apparently like Pandora, which is the Blue People world, but there's like a Pandora section at Disney World apparently or something like that. I don't even know. Like I just don't care about that piece of media like it was cool the special effects were were quite good but like uh it was kind of just like we did some space colonization and this one person like kind of decides to be like hey um so what we're doing might actually be bad let's not do that and then he it's like i don't know it's like pocahontas with blue people but like also worse because like the guy essentially isn't like he's not 
part of the blue people, but he like puts on like it. There's there's a lot to unpack in Avatar, but either way, there was no cultural impact because like Avatar almost instantly faded from public consciousness. Um, even though we're supposedly getting like tw- like twenty million more Avatar movies, which doesn't make any sense. But yes, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Sorry, that was a long, long digression there. So. Once, I, once again, the two major martial arts forms that show up in Shang-Chi are Kung Fu and Ba Gua Zhang. And these actually show up in Avatar The Last Airbender as well. Kung Fu shows up in terms of firebending. And I don't know if... I don't remember if Avatar uses specifically Black Tiger, but I think I think they used Northern Shaolin Kung Fu as the model for firebending. But then again, Northern Shaolin style is like very broad. But either way, it carries a lot of the same connotations as it does in the movie, where it's very forceful. And I know that like for the you know when you're watching Avatar, for the first two out of three chapters of or not chapters but like overall like seasons of avatar firebending is seen as very aggressive and it comes from a place of anger and even though iroh tries to be like hey like focus on the breath and everything um a lot of you see a lot of that power coming from anger which i think is a very interesting tie to shang chi and how both shang chi and also when we use uh, and also xiaoling use Kung Fu, they, they're very aggressive and at least, like, okay, the only time when it's used in self-defense is really, like, when Shang-Chi is fighting for his life on the bus, and then also, you know, there's the, the fight between Shang-Chi and Staling in the Golden Daggers Club, but other than that, like, I mean, even even during Shang-Chi's fight with Xiaoling at the Golden Daggers, like, Xiaoling is pissed, and she doesn't really give him a chance to do anything, so there's that, and then also, like, you know, any time that uh, Shang-Chi was fighting his father, like, obviously those were some quite heated blows, like, that took the place of dialogue in terms of, like, this is the conversation that's going on, and, like, the two are obviously not happy with each other, like, Wen Wu thinks that Shang-Chi's gonna assume his rightful position and Shang-Chi's like, hey, I don't really want to be the leader of an assassin organization. Like, I I killed a man, it didn't go so well. I uh, ran away from home and I made the dumbest civilian, not the dumbest, but like the silliest civilian name because I was like, yeah, well, my name is Shang-Chi, but I'm going to go by Sean. It's fine. So yeah, like Kung Fu and anger and, and force and just like, this destructiveness of that style really comes through a lot in how the movie handles that style. And also, interestingly enough, so the other... uh, Kung Fu is actually, like, a really, really big, broad style of martial arts, and so there are lots of different... There are lots of different sub-styles that come off of it, so you've got uh, Northern Shaolin style, and then you've also got Southern Shaolin style, and under that large category of Southern Shaolin, there's also different styles under there, and one, I think it would have been interesting if instead of Tiger style Kung Fu, if Wen Wu had used Hongar, which is, uh, or Hongjia, Hongar is the 
I'm I'm butchering the Cantonese pronunciation. Hong Jia is the Mandarin pronunciation of those characters, but it's another style of Gong Fu, and that course matches up with Earthbending from Avatar. And I'm sure folks remember that you know Earthbending in Avatar is like kind of slow, but it's ultimately pretty powerful. And it would have been interesting to see if Wenwu had used that instead of the Black Tiger style, just because. I mean, I think it's very fitting because Black Tiger is very aggressive and fast, and powerful, and it doesn't really match up with the characteristics of of Hungar. So, like, ultimately, it makes sense, but it would have been really cool to see that sort of dialogue happening. And I mean, I think it would have been cool to see more martial arts styles in in the movie. But ultimately, we see two these two, and I mean, they they do make a pretty good dialogue and sort of counterpoint between each other. So that is Kung Fu and Firebending, and the other style that we see in Shangchi is Baguazhang. Baguazhang is also known as circle walking and is, you know, we've seen a lot more gentle than Kung Fu. And correspondingly, this actually matches up with the form that Airbond air bonding air bending was modeled off of this was actually most apparent to me when i believe there's a scene where indy kind of like takes a step and like or it like balances basically on one foot while leaning backwards and if you watch the opening to the legend of korra you actually see Aang do that move in the in in the opening. I believe Tenzin does that at some point as well, but you you see that move and like when Ying Li did that, I was like, oh, this is definitely airbending. And it's also very interesting to see how much that was mentioned and sort of like alluded to in the movie because whenever Ying Li or Ying Lan, or not whenever, but like. A couple times when Ying Li or Ying Lan used Baguazhang, they actually had the wind going. And that, for me at least, was like the, the main smoking gun to be like, okay, this is definitely the same martial arts form. So that was really exciting to pick up on. But it's also interesting to see that, you know, ultimately that is the style that prevailed. You've got the Baguazhang from Li winning against Wen Wu's Kung Fu, and then the same thing when Shang-Chi uses the Baguazhang against his father. Like, the, he wins that fight, and he manages to sort of, you know, to reclaim the rings and and use them on his own. And also, when Ying Nan fights Shang-Chi in, in Talo, when she's, like, showing him basically, like, the power of what she can do, like, she kicks his ass. So... It's, it's really interesting that, like, this martial arts form that is, like, really more focused on energy redirection instead of force is is seen as so successful. And I think it's very interesting because we see the same sort of thing modeled in Avatar The Last Airbender, where, at least in the first main series of Avatar, right, with Aang, his worldview is very much shaped by airbending and the airbending culture from the nomads which you know it's very very akin to the tibetan monks and buddhism basically just like you know do no harm and 
a life full of, of pacifism. And so it's very interesting that we have sort of the strength that is brought about by this martial arts form that we see in Shang-Chi. And I think this is sort of lampshaded a little, or not lampshaded, but this is sort of like dispelled a little bit in Legend of Korra in the second season, I believe, when um, the Red Lotus uh, tries to kill Korra. Airbending can be quite dangerous because air is pretty important for life, or at least for us as creatures who need oxygen to survive. So that is really hinted at in the fact that, or not hinted at, but like it explicitly happens where Zaheer kills people by suffocating them and basically like, you know, taking the air out of their lungs. And so it's interesting that, you know, you have that juxtaposition, at least in Avatar, that this martial arts form is both gentle but also also deadly. And we do see that in Shang-Chi, not only in the examples that I mentioned, but like when Ying Li fights against the Iron Gang, like I've said this multiple times, she has a body count. She does a lot of work. Like I, once again, would have to watch the movie again to see how many bodies there are, but she kicks a lot of booty before going down. So like it's, I would have been curious to see like how that fight scene would have gone because, you know, as we saw in the Bamboo Grove, there's not a lot of, like, direct damage that she can do. And, I mean, we also see that in Avatar as well with airbending. Like, airbending, you don't really land any direct hits on people. You kind of, like, redirect people to hurt themselves. So, yeah, I would be very curious to see that sort of play out. And now the other, the, the final sort of, like connection here that airbending has with the movie in like terms of referential connection is airbending is the signature art of the air nomads and that group of people in the avatar universe is uh very connected to the spirit world and just like very spiritual which you know makes sense given that their real life ex uh, their real-life connection is uh, the Tibetan monks. And so it kind of makes a lot of sense that when it comes to Shang-Chi actually getting rid of the evil flying spaghetti monster, he uses Bagua Dang to exercise the thing. Granted, he shoves ten rings into the thing's booty hole and... and <laughs> There's a lot of stuff, or not a lot of stuff that happens, but he, like, uses those to to destroy the evil flying spaghetti monster, along with the help of the, the guardian dragon or whatever. But, yeah, it, so that was another sort of, like, reference that I saw there, and that was a nice touch. But, like, overall, I think with the two different martial arts styles that were featured in there, I was pretty happy to see them and also, like really understand the sort of reference and and the themes that were portrayed through them i thought the movie did that quite well so that's about it for the main sort of topic this is quite short compared to some of the other topics just because like this is sort of like a this is what it was and here are the connections and this is how i felt about it so with that being said if you liked what you've heard and or if you like what you're hearing please feel free to drop by the Patreon and support the show. I am completely independent. I am trying to eventually move over to Spotify. Right now I'm hosting on SoundCloud. But yeah, donating over on the Patreon 
would help me immensely in terms of moving over to Spotify and taking care of all the background stuff that I, that I need to take care of for running this podcast. For the Patreon, there are a couple tiers that are available. You know, you can donate whatever you can, but the tier one gets you a shout out on the podcast. If you want an example of what that's like, you can tune in to episode three and you just get a shout out like my friend Tanner did. And I guess he gets another shout out. So tier one is a shout out. Tier two, you get early access to the pod. As I mentioned at the top, I'm switching over to a bi-weekly release schedule just because my life is exploding and my mental health is important to me. And this is for fun. I'm not getting paid to do this at all. So I'm trying to find some way to balance doing this and and having it still be fun. But tier two gets you early access, which is the day before release. And most of the time I'm trying to figure out how to best do this, but so far I've been releasing the audio files on Patreon the day before the public release. And then tier three gets you, I guess, exclusive access to suggesting topics for the show to cover so far. The main suggestion that has come through is to cover Boys Love Media, and I've got a couple of things that, that I've watched, and I also have a guest in mind, so that is something to look forward to. But yeah, you can suggest topics, and I will consider them for review and and make an episode at some point. So that's the Patreon. As I mentioned also at the top, since Metroid Dread dropped, I'm going to be playing it, and you can come join me on Twitch and watch me scream in space and run in terror from the Emmy. The Emmy are these robot things that are able to like traverse any terrain and I just just go watch the trailer for Metroid Dread. The the beeping noise that they make is haunting and then of course like if they if they hit you then it's game over and I'm looking forward to displaying how bad I am at video games on the internet. But yes, if you are interested in joining me for that, look out for alerts on my Twitter or you can follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv/kato.kato. That is K A H T O N-O-T-K-A-Y-T-O is the same spelling as my Twitter handle and my Instagram. And I'm going to be trying to stream on Tuesdays and maybe Thursdays. We'll see about that. Or I think I actually know my old schedule is like Tuesday and Saturday. So I think I'm probably going to be holding to that because I've got other engagements on Thursday nights. So yeah, feel free to join there. As I mentioned before, my Instagram and my Twitter are both at Kato, not Kato. Twitter is where I'm more active and you get more goofy shit that comes out of my brain. And I'm trying to to put more stuff up on Instagram, but we'll see how that goes just because I don't use that platform as it's intended. I don't really use Twitter as it's intended either because why use platforms correctly when you could use them incorrectly? So that's the show. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will hope to see you next time. Thanks. Bye.